Yeah, well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities. Glad you made it to church. Glad you're not at the fair this morning. You made it here. Way to go. Also, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. And whenever you can join us, we know that you're a part of our church, so we welcome you as well. And speaking of online, uh, three years ago, a couple pastors from Argentina did a Google search on large churches in the United States. And for the past three years, these two pastors from Argentina have watched every one of our services online. Now, we had no idea who they were, but they flew up last week from Cordova, Argentina, to receive some training by our staff so they could go back to their church of 1,200 people and reach more people and Argentinians for Christ. Here's Diego and Fernando, pastors there. I want to just welcome you guys, and thanks for coming. Bless your church, and we just want to... Yeah, congratulate you guys, what you're doing. Hey, we are in a series, this online thing is just mind-blowing to me. But anyway, we're in a series called, Will God Come Through? And what I've loved about this series is that the people we've looked at in the Bible have all the same problems that you and I do. They got sick at times, they felt threatened at times, they got depressed, sometimes wondered if they'd have enough to eat. But in every case, God came through. Because sometimes the only way to find out if God is enough is when God is all you have. Isn't that true? Sometimes the only way to find out if God is enough is when God is all you have. I love today's story in 2 Kings. Before I tell you about it, though, I want to ask a very important question, and this is the question. If you only had one month to live, what would you do? These four guys in 2 Kings had one month to live, and it changed what they did with their life. So think about it. If you knew you only had 30 days left, what would you do? How would you live your last days on earth? Some of you would say, you know, Bob, I would take a long nap. That's what I need. I just need a nap. But after your nap and after you quit your job, most people immediately think about the, the big once-in-a-lifetime things like, you know, I would take a trip to Hawaii, except not this weekend because it's flooded, but I'd take a trip to Hawaii or I would, get, I would get front row tickets to a Coldplay concert. Then, you know, maybe I would climb Half Dome. I've always wanted to do that. Or I'd fish the Blackfoot or bungee jump off a high bridge in New Zealand because, you know, you're going to die anyway. <laughs> then it's drink the finest wines, gorge myself on the finest foods, and basically live it up and self-indulge, just do whatever I want to do for myself. If you only had one month to live, you probably wouldn't go to the gym. At least I wouldn't, probably wouldn't shop at Walmart, probably wouldn't watch endless reruns of The Office. You'd probably live your final days a little differently than you are now. A few years ago, I read a book by Kerry Shook called One Month to Live, and he said this, if you only had one month left, Quickly, list the first five things that immediately pop into your mind that you would change about your life. I read that statement when I was on a plane. I immediately got out a piece of paper and wrote down just the first five things that popped into my mind. The first one was I would give all my money away, every bit of it, because why? I mean, you only have 30 days left. I'd give it away to our church, to the missions that we support, and to my grandkids' education. Second thing that came to mind, I would tell all my close friends how much they mean to me and I would be specific. I would just tell him. Third, I would take my dog to church because he needs it. Plus, he would have a ball just running up and down these aisles trying to say hi and lick the faces of everybody here. 
Second, th third, fourth thing, I would spend every day with Laurie and as much time with my kids as possible. <laughs> my wife read this yesterday. She says, how come I'm fourth and after the dog? <laughs> I said, look, this is not chronological. This is just what came to mind, so give me a break. Fifth thing, I would tell as many people as I could about the love that Jesus has for them and their need to know him as their savior because you're gonna die someday and you need a savior. What would make your list? What would make your list? In 2004, Tim McGraw, country singer, wrote a song about his dad, Tug McGraw. Some of you are old enough to know that Tug McGraw used to play for the Phillies and the Mets. But in 2004, he was dying of cancer. And so Tim McGraw wrote a song about his dad called Live Like You Were Dying. Made song of the year in 2004. Spent seven weeks at number one. Some of you know the lyrics. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I, I would love deeper. I'd spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. Someday, he says, I hope you get the chance. Someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Great song. Truth is, we're all dying. We're all in the process of dying. Maybe not in 30 days, but all of us are terminal. The death rate still hovers around 100%. And nobody knows when their day is up. Honestly, I could flop over this afternoon and die this afternoon, and I'm not planning on it. But knowing that I'm going to die soon someday should influence how I live. McGraw wrote, someday, I hope you get the chance. Someday, start living like you were dying. I know so many people whose, whose favorite day is someday. Now, someday I'll pursue God. Someday I'll go to church. Someday I'll start loving my spouse. Someday I'll spend time with my kids. Some, someday I'll be generous. Someday I'll get around to doing the things that God is desiring for me to do someday, someday, someday. But when will we admit that someday really is a fantasy and that how we are living this day is probably how we are going to live every day? The Bible says, look, this is the day, this day right now, this is the day that you have. This is the day that the Lord has, has made. Tomorrow is not promised. Let us rejoice and be glad and do the things that God wants us to do this day. How would you live this day and every day if you knew that you were dying? Well, the four guys in 2 Kings were terminally ill. Again, we're all terminal, but they actually knew it. And so the Bible tells this story in 2 Kings 7. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate, and they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we go into the city, the famine is there and we'll die. But if we stay here, we will die because we have leprosy. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, well, then we die. <laughs> Cheery little passage in Scripture. You ought to read it someday. But the setting is this. These four guys have a disease, leprosy, that's fatal and so they're outcasts. That's why they're hanging around the city gates because they've been shoved aside. But even if they could go into the city, there's a famine there. And the reason there's a famine is because the city 
is under siege. So you have this city, and they used to have fortified walls. These are walls here. And there's about 40,000 troops. That's what these are, troops, surrounding their city. And they have thousands and thousands of archers a few, you know, a few paces outside of the city just waiting for people to come out to tend their fields or you know, take care of their flocks. And what they decided was, these troops and these archers, anybody who comes out of this city gate because they're under siege, we're just going to kill. Well, that kind of discourages people from coming outside of the city to take care of their flocks and take care of their sheep. And so, and uh, consequently, their fields and their flocks begin to die off, which causes the economy inside the city to crash. There's no food, there's no provisions, and that's what's happening here in the story in 2 Kings. This army, by the way, had laid siege for so long that people inside this city were starving to death. They were bartering everything like small animal parts for excessive amounts of money. The Bible says then cannibalism started, and it's as bad as it gets inside the walls of the city. So these four lepers are standing at the gate, and one of them says, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to die of leprosy in the long haul. I'm going to die of starvation in the short haul. I'm done. And the other three guys say, well, what are you going to do? He says, well, I'm going to walk outside the city gate right toward these archers. And the other guys are saying, well, you're going to get shot about 10 times before you take a few paces. And the guy's like, so what? What do I have to lose? I'm going to die long-term of leprosy or short-term of starvation. I might get shot and die somewhere right around here, but so what? And what if? Just what if these guys had mercy on me, took me in, fed me, and were kind to me? The other three lepers look at him and say, you know what? We're going to die long-term of leprosy or short-term of starvation. We'll walk over there with you. And so they look at each other. They say, well, you go first. No, you go. No, you go first. So they decide to walk out all together, and they're walking toward these archers, and they don't get shot. It's an amazing thing. They keep walking, and they realize everybody's gone. In fact, the whole camp is empty. The whole army is gone. And the Bible says it this way, that a few hours before, God, wanting to have mercy on the city, had caused the enemy to hear noises in the night. The Bible says it this way, the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and a great army coming. You know, God could do that. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their camps and they ran for their lives and so the lepers are walking out, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. And they realize everybody's gone. And they left in such a hurry that the enemy left everything behind, all their food, all their supplies, you know, all their smartphones, iPads, flat screen TVs. They left everything. And all these guys are like, are you kidding me? These four lepers. It says they entered one of the tents and Oh, man, they just had a ball. They ate and drank and carried away supplies, hid them in a cave. They returned and entered another tent, and they did the same, and they are just living 
living it up. And after they gorged themselves, and after they hoarded all the supplies for themselves and hid them for a future day, one of the lepers looks up and he says, time out. Wait a minute. And I love this next phrase that the Bible says, we are not doing right. Today is a day of good news and we are keeping it all to ourselves. Let's go at once and report this good news to others. In other words, we need to share our good fortune so that our fellow countrymen back in the city won't starve to death. I love this phrase. We are not doing right. When I read that phrase this past week, I stopped, I looked up from my Bible, and I thought, Bob, is there an area in your life where you are not doing right? God sees it. God knows about everything that's going on in my life. Bob, is there anything in your life that you need to clean up and are not doing right? I read this story over and over this past 10 days, and I see three actions that these lepers took to make sure that they were doing right. And the first action is this. They risked. They risked more. I love how these lepers said, you know what? If we stay here and do nothing, we're either going to die of leprosy or die of starvation. Why don't we take a shot and see if something good might happen. And don't miss, by the way, don't miss the supernatural way in which God works. Because the lepers stepped up, God showed up. This is how God works in our lives. If you step up, oftentimes God will show up. None of this would have happened if the lepers just played it safe. But because the lepers stepped up, God showed up. The enemy fled, the city was saved, the famine was over, all because four guys took a risk. And I want to ask a very important question. I'm asking this question of myself these days. Are any of us standing at the gate, but we're afraid to take a risk because we're uncertain of the outcome? Is anybody dissatisfied with your current circumstance, but you're afraid to take a risk because you're uncertain how it's going to turn out? I want to show you a truth. If you want to experience something supernatural, you have to try things that are beyond your natural ability. Doesn't that make sense? If you want God's power to show up, you got to try things and attempt things that are beyond your power. So that God's supernatural power shows up. I'm not a big risk taker, never have been. But I'm telling you, every great thing that's happened in my life took a fair amount of risk. Marriage is very risky. Deciding to have two kids, huge risk. You can do everything right as a parent and your kids still turn out goofy and go sideways. Huge risk. It's a crapshoot having kids. Glad you're having them. And, you know, we had them too, and it's, there's nothing like it, but I'm telling you, huge risk. Moving a 1,000 miles from Pennsylvania to Minnesota when I was 18 years old, moved from Pennsylvania to Minnesota to go to college, four years at college, four more years right away at seminary, eight years back-to-back, -back. huge risk. Moving to Fallen, Wisconsin to lead a tiny little church for five years was risky. 
then moving back to Pennsylvania to go to Penn State University with two little kids and no job and no money and no health insurance, huge risk. Three years after that, moving back to Minnesota to lead a church of 350 people, huge risk. Raising money to build a children's wing and a lower worship center there at White Bear many, many years ago because 350 had turned into, had grown to 4,000 people. Taking out a massive loan to buy 80 acres over here in Lionel Lakes to build our Lionel Lakes campus, then raising millions more dollars to build campus three, four, five, six, and soon to be seven, hiring 250 staff, firing some of those staff, starting at, you know, staring at a blank computer screen every Monday morning wondering what I'm going to say this week that might have impact. Gang, every significant move I've made over the past 40 years forced me to leave the gate and take a risk that I was unsure of. All of these moves were risky. All of them were extremely difficult and oftentimes lonely. All of them were costly. All of them had potential to fail. But nothing changes if you just stay here at the gate. Absolutely nothing changes. In order for God to show up, you've got to take a risk and step up. Make a move. Not a bad move. Not a foolish move. You know, don't move to L.A. and try to sell paintings out of your van. That's just stupid. Don't do that. Don't date somebody who's addicted and sleeps around and think it's going to turn out. Because it's not. The key to success is making the right moves. So are you willing? Will you have the courage to make the right moves and then be willing to pay the price for what it's going to take to make it happen? My son, kind of a lighthearted story, uh, but my son, when he was six years old, I took him fishing on the Mississippi River near Red Wing, Minnesota. I have a pastor friend down there, Mark Kelb, who lives in Red Wing, and we fished all morning long up and down the Mississippi River, and by about early afternoon, my son had had it. Started saying things, Dad, I'm bored. Let's go home. There's no fish in the river. So I was looking for anything to keep him occupied. We'd already burned through our lunch and snacks. Come on, Dad, let's go home. All of a sudden, four big mallard ducks came flying toward our boat, set their wings, splashed right up near our boat. Big ducks, big mallards, four-foot wingspan almost. And they were wild ducks, but it was obvious they had gotten some handouts from other fishermen because they kind of floated up right up to our boat. So I said, Dave, toss them some chips. And sure enough, they swam up and they'd grab a chip and they'd flutter off again. And that kept him occupied for about a minute. Soon he was moaning and groaning about going home again. So Mark and I were standing on the front of, front of his bass boat just talking about life. Just as a brush off, I said, Dave, why don't you see if you can grab one of those ducks? <laughs> Knowing full well, impossible for anybody to grab or catch a wild duck, much less a six-year-old kid. But his eyes lit up. He said, really? I said, sure, Dave, knock yourself out. <clears throat> so with a whole new purpose, rolls up his sleeves and he started throwing out more chips, chumming the water. Mark and I were just standing on the front of the boat. 
all the while, David's back there, you know, by the motor, and he's messing around doing this. And all of a sudden, Mark and I are back here. He's back here doing this, you know, fiddling around. Not, we're not paying any attention. All of a sudden, we hear this, Dad, I got one. And he, <laughs> he fell backwards into the boat with this, his hand clutched around this duck, and it's slapping him and whacking him, try, and wild duck trying to get away, laying on the bottom of the boat. He's just taking a beating from this bird, just doing this, like this, you know, like this. Finally, he says, Dad, what should I do? <laughs> I said, Dave, you should let him go. And so he opens his hand, his bird flew off. He stood up all wet and shook up. Mark and I just buckled over in laughter. And after we got control of ourselves, I said, I said, Dave, how'd you do that? He says, well, you know, I was throwing out chips and I said, the chips would kind of sink and they'd kind of go under and I thought, well, that's a good time. So I went, and I grabbed one. I thought, that's brilliant. Ah. <laughs> oh. But here's what I love about that story. Childlike faith. Little kids. A little boy hears his dad say, it might be possible to catch a duck. And he says, all right, I'll give that a shot. And because he stepped up, God showed up. And I think it was a miracle. You can think what you want, but it was awesome. Erwin McManus, brilliant author. For a lot of us, the most spiritual thing we can do is do something. Do something. The most spiritual thing you can do, volunteer. Pitch in. Ask for help. If you're standing at the gate wishing your life was different, sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do is do something instead of, instead of nothing. And don't, by the way, don't ignore the small risks. The risk some of you need to take is to simply say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Many of you need to do that. Some of you need to say, take a risk and say, will you forgive me? Please. Some of you are standing at the gate. Your hope is gone. The risk you need to take is to finally step into a counselor's office and say, will you help me? Others of you, Buy a plane ticket and go see your son. Get on a plane and go see your daughter. Take a risk. If you knew you were terminal, what risk would you take? And what's stopping you from taking it now? And live like you were dying. That's the first action. Second action, real quick, share more. I love this. 
The lepers took a risk. God showed up. But then they did what a lot of us do when we come into good fortune. You know, they gorged themselves and they hoarded everything for themselves. Oh, look what we have. Let's just keep it for ourselves. Until one of them said, wait a minute, we are not doing right. We need to share this with others. They realized that with their great discovery came great responsibility. It's not just for you, it's not just for me. Jesus said, to whom much is given, and all of us, most of us, much has been given. Much is required. So what have you been given that others need? What gifts, talents, knowledge, or resources have you been given that others can benefit from? Because, gang, whatever God has given you isn't just for you. You might think, some of you might think, Bob, I don't have much to offer. I'm just this person. But if you're a Christian, I'm telling you, the Bible says that each of you has something to share that other people need. A few months ago, my 2013 Volkswagen Passat started lurching and stalling at stoplights. It was obvious something was terribly wrong. So I called Vince Lutz, who fixes all my car problems, and he also counsels me and helps me in life. He said, Bob, take a pliers and attach it to this wire, that wire, and the battery, and see if sparks fly. I said, isn't that dangerous? He said, well, not if you do it right. So with Vince on the phone, I opened my hood, and I saw that my oil cap was gone. I said, Vince, my oil cap's gone. I must have forgotten to screw it back on after I changed my oil yesterday. He said, well, that's your problem. I didn't know where my oil cap was. He says, look below your radiator. Sure enough, there it was. So I screwed it back on, and the car ran perfectly after that. Oil caps are cheap little parts that have very little value until you forget to screw it on. Without that $2 part, your $20,000 car won't run. And here's my point. Maybe you think you're just an oil cap, some of you. But without your guidance, your family won't run. Without your kindness, your friendships won't run. Without your help and generosity, your church won't run. Gang, if you are a Christian, you have hit the mother load. You've discovered the best news on the planet. You have God's forgiveness. Think of that. Your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. You need to confess your sins and clean up your life when you do sin, but you're forgiven. You're off the hook. Jesus paid the penalty once and for all for your sins and mine. What a deal. You've been forgiven. You have hope. You have the assurance of heaven. You have grace. You have God's goodness and blessing, but your unbelieving friends are back in your city or workplace or neighborhood dying from a spiritual famine. And you've got the answer. We've got the best news on the planet. And the question is, will we share with them what we've been given? Will we take a shot? Will you share with them what Jesus has done for you so they can have what you have? Because with great or discovery comes great responsibility. Will you take a risk and start praying for an opportunity to invite just one person to church this fall so that they can get in on the best news we could ever have? Every person I know. 
Every person I know would do better if Jesus was in their life. If they had his forgiveness, his wisdom, his grace, his protection. Every single person. That's why I'm challenging all of us. I'm challenging myself to take a risk. Pray for somebody. Invite somebody to church this fall who is dying of spiritual famine. If, you knew that I, if I knew that I was dying, I would risk more. I would share more. And finally, I would love more. At age 14, Zach Sobiak from Stillwater, Minnesota, was diagnosed with a rare bone cancer. And after two years of extensive treatment, Zach was told he only had months to live so he wrote a song. Some of you are familiar with this story. He stepped up. And what happened next is that God showed up. And while Zach's earthly life came to a close on May 20th, 2013, his life and love lives on. I want you to see this, then I'll come back up and close in just a bit. I think every teenager out there feels invincible, and they'll never admit it. And it's not the kind of invincible like Superman. It's the kind of invincible like, I'll see you in five months. My name is Zach Sobiak. I'm 17 years old and I have osteosarcoma. I've been told I have a few months to live, but I still have a lot of work to do. When we found the cancer in his pelvis, I said, you know, maybe you should start writing some letters. Music is a way I can express myself without having to you know, burden everyone else. Zach can't stop writing lyrics. There are so many songs he wants to leave behind. With only months to live, his song called Clouds was born. I fell down, down, down to this dark and lonely hole. Zach, such a beautiful song. Because the view's a little nicer. For me, it's it's Zach's way of saying I'm okay. I want everyone to know you don't have to find out you're dying to start living.
Laura, we are so honored to have you and your husband, Rob, uh, spend just a few minutes with us revisiting your son's life and story. Thank you so much. Oh, thank for, you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> for being here. Um, you know, since, since Zach's passing in 2013, uh, that video has had 4 million views. It's gone viral. Uh, it's taken on a life of its own, this, this story, your story, Zach's yeah. story. Um, what's it been like for you? Yeah, I'm going to correct you. It's 14 million 14, views. what did I say? <laughs> Four. Four? <laughs> 14 million, So what, is, what has it been like for us? Um, that's a big question. It's been remarkable to see how God has used Zach's story to reach millions of people across the globe um, and just touch them and, and really wake them up to sometimes their own mortality, especially in the young, but just to life and to stepping out of the gate. You know, what, what that takes. Um, it's, it's been remarkable in other ways too, just because of the fact that, to be totally honest with you, Zach couldn't sing. <laughs> he was actually pretty awful. Um, I remember hearing him in our basement, you know, singing, playing the guitar and thinking, ooh, not so great. <laughs> and so when it came time for him to say yes to that opportunity, um, I was actually saying, oh, sweet babe, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And he was the one saying, when am I ever going to get the chance to do this, mom? And, and he stepped out of the gate. He took that risk. Mm -hmm. And God showed up. Yeah. What have you learned through this whole experience? Yeah. Have you learned? So much. I've learned that we are already living eternal life. The veil is very thin. Um, I see God show up in so many beautiful ways. I've learned that when we use the gifts that God has given us, we don't have to be perfect to put them into play and for him to take over and just work through us. I've seen that you know, I've, I've very much learned that this, this story is not Zach's story. This is God's story. That God is using Zach and our family as just channels of his grace into this world. And I, I really think that's the unique part of our story. You know, kids die every day, every day from cancer. Um, we all have our tragedies, our, our hard things that we're living through. So, you know, like, what was the unique thing about Zach? And I think the unique thing about our story is, is that we got to see how God works very plainly. That when we step up, God can use us as channels of grace to reach out into the world in ways we never dreamed were possible. That's the unique part of our story. And I truly believe this happens with all of us all the time. God just used our story to show us what it looks like from his perspective. Like, we got to see it. Mm. You talked about the suffering piece and how God even allowed you to. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember how you put it, the celebration of suffering or something like Opportunities. that. Opportunities, yeah. yeah. Just touch I, on that. So I, I really, truly believe that we 
are each, we are each given opportunities to suffer. And to really use those, my visualization in, in our suffering was just to really sort of see us as uniting with Christ's cross. And that when we take whatever we're suffering through, whatever that might be, big or small, if we can use those opportunities of suffering to really recognize them as opportunities to really unite ourselves with Christ, then we can know that Christ is showing up. He's there, we're, we're walking with him, we're allowing him, he's allowing us to unite our suffering with him. And then he can use us as, as channels of grace. Yeah, one final question, do you miss him, Miss Zach? Uh, yes, I, I miss him. There are occasions where I, I, I miss him tremendously and I, I want him to physically be here, but I think people would probably be surprised to know that I probably don't miss him as much as you think I do because I feel him. You know, he's here, he's present. I know he's here and that's that veil of eternity. He's not that far away. And so he's in my life still. He's still present here, probably more, more intensely than he was when he was alive. So yes and no. Um, a lot of things have happened. Uh, you were contacted to write a book, and you did that. I did. Warner Brothers wants to do something, I guess, a movie. A movie, yep. Uh, so, things that you never looked for, <laughs> never wanted. Right. Right? Yeah. Uh, but I can tell the church here that this, uh, Laura gifted me this book, uh, Fly a Little Higher. You can see it on the side screens here. It's a remarkable book. Um, and I, I don't say that because I'm not into selling books, but I've been reading it. And if for no other reason, read it to learn how to parent. You are an amazing oh. parent, <laughs> uh, an amazing mom. Well, thank and you. The, the things that you, God has taught you through parenting are remarkable in this book. But I'm in it. It's pulled me in. So oh, I'm glad to hear it. That, that's God's story. <laughs> and, and I think my my kids would maybe have a few things to say about the parenting, but, but I appreciate yeah, well, that. Thanks so much. Let's thank, thank her you. again for, for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Just want to ask it one more time. If you knew you had one month to live, what would you risk? What would you share? And who would you love? And then why not start doing those things today? Um, God has a story for each one of us. He has a path for each of us. It's going to be different than Laura's or yours or mine is different. But I do know this, that God has called me at least. Bob, I want you to risk more. I want you to share more of what you, what you have. And I want you to love more. Let's all stand at all campuses and be on our way with prayer. If you need prayer, by the way, after the service, uh, some prayer people will be here. Uh, pastors will be here. You can come on up and uh, gain healing and gain hope. Get an answer to something that God has for you. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for Laura and her husband Rob and their family. Thank you for using Zach 
Thank you that that veil between earth and heaven is very thin. God, I pray that we will live more and more every day like we are dying. God, we thank you for your love, for your forgiveness, for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for us so that we could live with you. That is our hope. That is our solid rock on which we stand. In Christ's name, amen. Have a great evening, everybody.